0: hi this is tom Werman. i produced in color heaven tonight and dream police for cheap trick and i'm here to talk about it on cheap talk yes. oh!
1: Welcome to a very special episode of Cheap Talk. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today, and as usual, I'm joined by the ever-effervescent BJ Cramp. Hello, BJ. How are you doing, sir? Hello there. How are you, Ken? I'm doing well. Today's show is a special one. This is, you know, what do you say, BJ? If we had a bucket list, and, and we actually do, of people that we wanted on this show, there's the four guys in Cheap Trick themselves. And, and this person that's on the other end of the line is right up there, wouldn't you say, definitely, B.J.? Definitely, definitely, yes. And this man's work has affected all of us as, as Cheap Trick fans, but if you're a Motley Crue fan, if you're a Twisted Sister fan, if you're a Dokken fan, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of the line, the Tom Worman. Hello, sir. Welcome to Cheap Talk.
0: How can I possibly live up that intro you know uh, i'm just a guy i'm just a guy who likes rock and roll
1: and so then you fit right in with bj and i
0: yeah right most likely well there you go and and specifically cheap trick who of all the bands i ever worked with were my very favorite bar none
1: wow that's that's a lot to that really means a lot coming from you um when we approached you, you said, why would anyone want to talk to me? Uh, why after 40 years, correct?
0: Correct. 40 years. I mean, I think in color was 76, I think. Uh, it, 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 it's pretty vague. I mean, when you get to be uh, my age mm-hmm. and somebody asks you about a bunch of records or songs that you recorded 40 years ago, it's hard to recall specifics. Right and uh you know that, that that's a lot of musical trends and history that 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 have transpired since uh since then, so i don't know i don't know people um, people still occasionally call me and and I think it's great that music of that era is still holds some interest for listeners
1: well it, it, there was there was something in the water back then it, there was so much greatness <laughs> that was going on uh yeah, they and, were
0: always. Also something in the air, yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> my, whatever would you be referring to but, uh Tom, you know you, you you were telling us uh or actually we were saying to you that uh because people love this band and we we you know the reason we wanted to hear from you after forty years is because the people that listen to this show love and breathe this band cheap trick. And you said something about they should thank you.
0: Oh, well, because I, I signed them to Epic Records.
1: So, yes, they, we owe you a, a tremendous amount. Big time. <laughs> yeah, big time. Too. So let's talk about your personal Cheap Trick story. How did you become aware of Cheap Trick? How did they come on your radar? How did, how did all that happen?
0: Well, Jack Douglas called me. He produced, as as all these people know, the first record. Um, He called me, I was in Epic A&R, and he called me and said, I have, I saw this band, I like this band, I would like to do their record, and they're called Cheap Trick, and he gave me some information, and I was a big Jack Douglas fan because, you know, of Aerosmith. I thought Rocks, the Aerosmith album Rocks, was, was about the best, uh, American rock and roll, I had heard to date, so so I respected Jack and I immediately flew out to uh, Rackford um, <laughs> to see the band. actually, they were in Quincy, Illinois, in a strip mall, and Ken Adam and he set it up their their original manager, and they, they you know they packed the club it was uh, extremely loud, it was very exciting and uh, then I went back to New York and I brought my boss out to see them, and he was on board. So, so we signed them, and and Jack did the first record.
1: What was it that that made you take notice of them? Was was it their sound, their image, a certain track, their live Everything. show?
0: Everything. I think you know I, they did hello there mm-hmm. uh, uh, to open up, and and um, you know that's. That's still probably, you know, probably my favorite track of all, of, of all time, Cheap Trick. I mean, that's, that's the, the, it's just a wonderful way. And so we opened the album with it. But from then on, I mean, their, their songs, their presentation, their musicianship, every single one of them was superb on his instrument. And, and that includes Robin's vocal instrument. You know they—they were—they're just overwhelmingly good, you know. They're, 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 there's nothing wrong. There's nothing that you can say uh, is deficient, and they were uh, funny, smart, you know, a, pretty much a producer's dream. So, I wasn't considering producing them at that time, but mm-hmm. I had, you know, I had. Uh, Tried to sign a few bands that that Epic passed on. Um, My previous boss passed on Rush, Leonard Skinner, and Kiss, all of whom I offered to the label. So I was very. By this time, they had to listen to me, and I said, "You know, we we definitely should sign this band." So we did, and Jack did the uh, did the first album quite. He was, you know, he basically recorded the band live, and and he, you know, he just let them play, and I didn't do that, as everyone knows, and has that has become, uh, you know, a topic of discussion over the years.
2: Tom, the first time you saw them was the whole image already intact. Uh, Bunny had the with oh, yeah. the tie, and and Rick with the hat and the sweaters and everything. All of that was already
0: everything. Yeah. The whole, the whole package was there, yeah. Uh, and, you know, they were, they were um, young and very, very... Uh, well, actually, there's, they're probably still close to the, to the same energy level. But um, they had all the stuff. Rick had... I'm sure he didn't have, you know, the five-neck guitars. <laughs> right. uh, and, and Peterson was probably playing, you know, a four-string bass. <laughs> yeah. so, so so they were conventional, um but bunny uh, yeah, he had the tie and the cigarette dangling right. in his mouth, and, and um you know they were they were kind of effortless the way they played everything was uh, you know there was no effort there they they just um were a unit, a powerful unit, and their songs were were you know different.
2: Well, do you remember, like, what what was your impression of them in that in the context of '76 or whatever? Did they seem like a glam rock band or a punk rock band, or were they just a complete anomaly? Or
0: yeah, they were <clears throat> they were different. They were um, God, I don't know. They were they were a personality band, really.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, when you think about uh, well, Tom was really the least noticeable of the band. Um, even though he was, you know, he was a, an anchor, but Rick and Robin and and Bunny were, uh, you know, they were major personalities on stage. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, you were interested. You were interested in in knowing about about the, these individuals. And Robin, um, you know, a front man obviously is really important, and he was a very potent front man. I mean, he was great looking and. And he had, and he was the man of a thousand voices. I think I made that. I think I started that, but I'm not <laughs> sure. You know?
1: Well, it's definitely a true statement. I mean, the the guy is just absolutely amazing. There's uh, no doubt yeah. about it. It uh, is mind blowing what he's able to do. How he can go from one second being this fragile thing to this powerhouse. It it just right. blows my mind, and that's one of the things I love about Cheap Trick is their dynamics, you know, in the in right. both on stage and in the studio. When the decision was made to be their producer, how did that come about?
0: Well, Jack uh, was their producer. I think they were pretty happy with the first album, and uh, I think they were uh, interested in having him do the second album, but he was delayed. You know, Aerosmith could take a long time to do an album, and apparently they were taking a long time. So um, they asked me, because I had uh, already started to produce records that were hits. Uh-huh. And, and so um, they, you know, they trusted me, and I had a good relationship with them and Ken. And so we, um, they wanted to record in L.A., and I said, great, because that was exciting. And uh, it was the first time for all of us. But we went out there and, uh, and we recorded in color. It was fun. Absolutely. I never had so much fun. I used to wake up in the morning and be really happy to go to the studio. Uh, as you know, in, in contrast to several uh, album projects that I can recall that were, you know, torture.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that really says a lot. I've heard, a, I've talked to a lot of different people who just... One thing they really remember about Cheap Trick is just how nice, what nice people they were and how, how you know, how... Yeah, so they were great people and they were such a great professional band. It just yeah, must have we, seemed this is too easy, right?
0: Yeah, right. Well, I, I'm, g- I'm actually getting paid to do this. It, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, we would go in and, um, you know, once we got going you'd start around one in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and i'd come up with an idea rick would come up with an idea they would be instantly implemented if if they were you know if everyone liked them and the band was a very quick study and i don't know everything just happened it just came together and i i would sit there and listen to the track and things i'd hear things in my head and suggest them and and they were pretty amenable to my suggestions and it worked it just worked because i really liked their music so i i listened closely i was i was enchanted by it i was interested i was moved by it and i wanted to um i don't know i i was just engaged in the songs mm-hmm. so so um i think i contributed as much as i contributed to any uh, band um, while we were doing their records, and you um, know, it was great. We just we we would tear through these these records. We, you know, under we were under the gun uh, when we did Dream Police mm-hmm. because they had to go on the road, and and we finished Dream Police start to finish, mixed and everything in thirty days, which in those days was really really fast.
1: That's unbelievable. Um,
0: albums usually took two months so so uh, you know that happened because they were able they were able to do that i'd suggest something they'd, they'd do it right away so that was great it's not that i suggested everything they did I mean, right i don't want to lead um but but you know we we'd come up with ideas and 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 we'd incorporate them quickly mm-hmm there was only one or two times when I suggested a different approach to the guitar uh, from the one he usually had, which which I considered a little zany, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 humorous. It was a humorous, light approach to the guitar. Like, you know, I'm just goofing around, uh-huh. and I'm making I'm making I'm I'm playing notes that will make you laugh. <laughs> and a couple of time a couple of times I said i you know I'd like you to play as if you were a you know a rock star in a coliseum waving your your long mane of hair around and you know <laughs> having spandex on it um you know i think i I think I told him that I can't remember what song it was, maybe it was voices right?
2: I wonder how were the songs chosen to be on each album because Pretty much all the songs on In Color they already had when they made the first album, and a good, a good amount yeah. of the songs that would be on Heaven Tonight and Dream Please they already had those too. So, w- what yeah. was the process like in picking the songs?
0: You know, I, I can't recall specifically how we did it, but what what I always did on all my projects was get a get a bunch of demos, which, and they had a ton, and I'd go through them. You know several times and just jot down the ones that i felt were strongest and then we'd take those like 15 of them into rehearsal and we would rehearse those and i would make changes uh-huh. um, structural changes arrangement changes and then we'd, we'd all you know kind of we'd record them on a boombox and and then we'd all decide together, uh, you know, which songs were, were, the, were the strongest and, and specifically which songs might be singles. So, uh, you know, when, when uh, certain songs uh, like Dream Police and Surrender, uh, you know, just sounded extremely commercial, <laughs> and, and, and I'd say, well, we have to do those. We have to, you know, we have to, and we never really had any arguments. Um, Rick would sometimes bring out a song that was five years old. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You know, that they hadn't played in years. And, and uh, I think we probably resurrected a few of those along the way. I can't remember which ones.
2: Yeah, well, it's so good to see you. you went all the way back to Sick Man of Europe before Cheap Trick. But um, even, you know, In Color was the second album, but most of those songs you probably heard at that first. Show you went to like they always did. Southern girls, they always did. Downed, right? Uh-huh. Those are right. two of their oldest songs. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's right.
2: And you said they opened with "Hello there." Was so? Was that your idea to to start in color with that?
0: Oh yeah, it's the greatest intro. Yeah, it's just a quick slam of, of good syncopated hard rock and roll. That's that's kind of Get you off know, your ass! Let's go. You know, it's like, all right, Cleveland, are you ready to rock? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, hello there. Are you ready to rock? Would you like to do a number with me? Let's go. So, and, and, and the, the, the track is what I I particularly enjoy the the actual music the the the, the drive of of hello there beat our uh, beaters in. Uh, that's yeah. another one of my favorites, and that's got that's got a, a you know a locomotive drive to it.
2: I love those. And they had they had Peter saying when they made the first record, I think, and that didn't even wasn't even used until the third album. So they they had this cache of songs that they just kept pulling right. from. Like right. they had surrender when you made in color. Surrender was already written, right? Do you remember if that was considered for in color?
0: I don't. Or? No. No, I definitely don't remember. I, in fact, I don't remember hearing it for the first time, but um, it came together very quickly um, when, I, when I, I, I put in that. Um, I, I don't want to piss them off, but, <laughs> it, but I'm pretty sure I was responsible for the um, Baba O'Reilly synthesizer figure which right. is common to both um you know surrender and dream police
3: uh-huh. yeah yeah
0: which just worked
2: oh yeah definitely and, you know. well surrender is a pretty simple song you know if you break it down so yeah, yeah. adding anything in the studio i mean i yeah I, I, you know uh i always i'm not a huge fan of live albums because i really appreciate the additional Element of artistry and creativity that goes into recording a studio album, Mm
3: -hmm. you know, there's that
2: element of it that's kind of missing from live records that I really appreciate. And yeah, any little tweak to a song like that can be so significant.
0: Yeah, there were some there were some things that we did um, to create sounds, specific sounds um, that that would not have been possible on, on a live album.
2: Do you remember? Was was Dream Police around? earlier than because from what i've been told they even had at least some version of dream police when they made the first record
0: hmm i don't know about that i really don't if you know if old songs came up they if if we did a song that they had had for many years i don't remember which ones they were
3: right right
0: i thought that dream police was a kind of a a theme Um, I don't remember really. Nope. Nope. It's, 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 it's really, it's really hard. I remember specific things, mainly, you know, stuff that I, that, that I, I wanted to hear and that they accepted and that we did.
2: Well, like, do you remember the song Downed? I know that when they would, that song live, it was kind of a much heavier song and it's kind of rearranged on the album with a lot more dynamics. Do you remember anything about the arrangement of that or?
0: I don't, but it's, but it's not surprising that live, they were much harder than on record. That's, that's me. Uh, because I was more commercial, more pop, um, I thought I thought we were sufficiently aggressive, but mm-hmm. they were very um, they were gnarly live you know it, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't clear you couldn't really hear um, you couldn't hear everything um all the time each individual uh, instrument and I wanted to get performances out of everybody I didn't want Rick to kind of come near the notes I wanted him to play exactly what he wrote and he was fine with that you know then you know of course the big example is I want you to want me which they changed completely for for their live performance and and I saw it as a little you know a dance hall ditty uh, which is what it was when they played it when they when they played it for me in 1976.
2: Right. Yeah, so I was the thinking when you recorded I Want You to Want Me for In Color, was the thinking this is going to be a radio hit, this is going to be a hit single? Was that the uh, kind of the goal?
0: I think so. I, I, I think that that's what, you know, I tried to make it different and clever and, you know, there are there are finger snaps in there and and that um that uh you know classic hack piano sound it's 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 old and it's got a great um you know it, it's a, it's a great song it's got a great chorus it, it's got great everything everything about it is great but um they reinterpreted it and also there there wasn't i don't think you know there wasn't really a single on that album mhm from what I can remember. I think we released Southern Girls as a single. I was remixing Southern Girls in Atlanta when Molly Hatchet came in to audition for me in the studio while we were mixing Southern Girls. (laughs) Wow. That's that's why I remember that one. And I signed it. Anybody I I worked with, sorry, everybody else, Uh, but but really they were, uh, you know, outstanding. And I have always thought that they should have, you know, sold 10 million records, uh, that they should have been huge instead of just successful. You know, they were one, they were, they were a very special band.
2: Yeah, that's what's that's what's Cheap Tricker in that unique club of bands where they've got songs that have kind of become classics like Surrender, but they weren't hits at the time. You know, it wasn't a big hit single. <laughs>
1: Tom, it's hard to believe that anybody that would be listening to this show is not familiar with your work, both in Cheap Trick or outside of. But you produced some of the essential Cheap Trick albums. BJ, line them up. Tell, them what they, tell us what they are.
2: The Cheap Trick albums? Well, of course, you know, In Color, Heaven, Tonight, Dream
1: Police. There, there is no Cheap Trick story without those albums.
0: Oh, right, right. No, I, I have to agree with you. I think it's the core.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: They may, you know, they may have a different opinion, but I think it's the core, and I think the fans think it's
1: the core. Well, it's 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 career building albums. Let's put it that way, and uh, you know, it, it's it just speaks to the the their their body of work, right? It just how great these albums are, and I'll tell you uh, how I became aware of you as I was one of those kids that flipped the album over and would. Yeah. Would do Read along. It was like, read along with the record. And there's Tom Worman, and I saw you were on another one, and then another one. And I wanted to know, who was that guy? And God, it must be cool to be him, because he's hanging out with Cheap Trick. So.
0: Right. It's a, that was like, uh, the first time I flipped the albums over was, I noticed this name, Nanker Felge,
3: mm-hmm.
0: on all the stones albums. And I figured, gee, who is this guy? What is, what is he doing? I, I guess I think it turns out that he was a fictional guy. But but yeah, producers, no one knows what a producer does. Um, I flipped over The Eagles' first album, and I flipped over Who's Next. And I discovered that the same guy had produced both of those, which is quite a feat. And, uh, and then I decided I wanted to be like him. So that was it. That was Glenn Johns. That was Glenn right. Johns, one of the all-time great. That's uh, all. That's all I have to say. That.
1: That's it. No, no, no.
0: Matter. But thank you for. Thanks, thanks for, uh, for that. Being a producer was uh, was uh, a passive kind of thing for me. I just sat there for the most part and listened to the same track going back and forth all day long, and ideas would. Uh, come to me, mm-hmm. and most of them worked. So it was it was a, a very pleasant uh, a way to earn a living.
1: And the story is is that Dream Police was finished before Budokan was released.
0: We finished it in 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 a big hurry, mm-hmm. and I flew to New York and mastered it and delivered it, and they put it on the shelf for eight months because Budokan exploded, and I had been asked by my boss to fly to Japan and oversee the recording and obviously I didn't need to but I couldn't and I missed out on a great experience um, because I was finishing up uh, my last Ted Nugent album in Florida and I remember getting the phone call and saying, shucks, I could have gone to Tokyo with Cheap Trick. That would have been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I missed out on that one. But anyway.
1: Yeah, that would have been a blast. Do you think that the making of the record would have been approached differently if you knew that you were making it, that there was an opportunity to capitalize on Budokan's success? Would would that have altered what Dream Police became?
0: Oh, you mean if we had done it after Budokan? Yes. Nope. Nope. I think it would have been, you know, there would would have been no reason, uh, because because Budokan was live, mm-hmm. you know, and that is always a different animal. And we would have we would have probably approached it, uh, police and the songs on it, the same way. Mm-hmm. That's all.
1: Now, when you have a record as good as Dream Police sitting on the shelf, was there any fear that it would become something that would become passe or out of style? You know, that that music was was changing so fast at times, you know. Was there anything along those lines, any considerations along that line?
0: No, not not that I remember. Uh, You know, they're in a class by themselves. Um, Their songs are not, you know, they're not uh, formula songs. They don't really have that much to do with... um, with this, the the songs that were on the radio of that era of mm-hmm. that year, so I'm I'm not. It's like we said about Alphietta Zane. It's timeless, and and their stuff is more timeless than most.
2: I, maybe it was a blessing in disguise that Dream Police was made before Budokan was a huge hit, because then they didn't have that pressure on them. They were they were just making another cheap trick album, and they weren't. And then, so maybe that's why "All Shook Up" is such a weird record because then they did go into the studio with the pressure of being a hit band,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh,
2: and because um, "All Shook Up" is a pretty strange, strange record.
0: I I have to admit that I didn't. I'm I'm nowhere near as familiar with their subsequent work. Yeah,
3: you know, yeah. You
0: know, The stuff they did after Dream Police. I mean, I, I, you know, I did listen with interest to. What, what was the one right after um, Dream Police?
2: Yeah, All Shook Up. That was the George Martin album. It yeah. was?
0: It yeah. was All Shook Up?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's an, amazing. I could have sworn it was Next Position Please. But anyway, I listened to that, and um, I was surprised, and I must admit, a little bit gratified um, to know that, you know, the Beatles producer made a record that was that didn't sell as much as ours, as mine. Um, you know, it, it was just interesting. And I think that probably because he's a pretty good producer. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, he kind of knows what he's doing. Probably <laughs> be,
0: because, I would guess, because the material wasn't as strong. I don't know.
3: Well,
2: when yeah, you well, think- uh, another thing about All Shook Up is that's the first album where they weren't pulling from that well of of songs... That you know the first four albums, a lot of the songs he already had, that's but right. while well, that, shook up he it's mostly new, almost all new stuff, so mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that's the sophomore uh curse of of all bands, right, because their first band is a, is a is a really strong collection of every song uh they or the leader or or one of one of them has written mm-hmm. in his life, and then um if 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 they have a hit then. He has to write an album's worth of material in three months, yeah you know and and um you know typically the second album is just not as strong as the first, and sometimes the band you know goes away as a result of that right but Cheap brick, as you mentioned earlier, had so many songs that they could spread them out over the first four albums.
1: That's amazing when you think about it and you, you know, were you were talking that it only took thirty days to do. Dream police in total yeah that's yeah. mind-blowing that's it's staggering that how fast that happened and you know we're like when we talk about in color for example th- that is such a classic in the power pop genre i mean it it seriously is one of those albums that bands look at to this day and say that kind of almost was part of that genre that it almost kicked it off you know what i'm saying? And not bad for an album that was ranked at number four on uh, the ultimate power pop guide, Shake Some Action. So it just shows you the kind of love that's out there for In Color. Now, this was the first album oh, where we got... It was, it
0: was, it was also, I'm sorry, it, it was also Rolling Stones album of the year.
1: Really? Back in
0: 1977? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Dave Marsh said, this is, this is Rolling Stones official album of the year i think it was on the cover wow it was it was a big deal
2: yeah but then ironically isn't i mean isn't in color basically the source of your disagreements with the band that you're talking about because of the uh, the kind of
0: rewriting history (laughs) i want you to want me is is specific the source of the disagreement yeah that that's that's what started it all but there's there's a lot to say um, about the things the band did that I disagreed with that I had a, a you know uh, I mean just just as career moves um, mm-hmm. th- there were things that I that I wouldn't have done um, and I probably m- mentioned that in, in you know in passing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that was probably one of the reasons they said let's 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 just agree to disagree," and that's it.
1: Right Now did you have any favorite tracks off of in Color? some you know I mean there's so many classic songs there. well
0: besides yeah, beside "Hello there, uh probably you're all talk.
1: What were some of your favorite tracks off of Heaven Tonight?
0: Well, Surrender, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Alpha Eder Zane, uh, Top of the World, great song. Top of the World.
2: Oh yeah, it's one of their best yeah. and it's
0: yeah, great I mean,
2: production. It's just,
0: what a feeling! Thanks. Um, <laughs> you know, Jay Jay Winding, the keyboard player, had a lot. Uh, had a, he played a, on a lot of stuff.
3: <clears throat>
0: he played, um, you know, organ and, and piano. Uh-huh. And it was um, it was great because I I could just basically tell him what to play, not note by note, but I'd you know I'd sing, put this note in there, and and, and you know go to a try to try to do this and do that, and this chord and that chord, and and he was uh, he was really good at kind of rocking the feel and and the intent of the song and strengthening it mm-hmm. so he did that he did that with
2: would you, would you say that how are you was kind of, I want you to want me part two. Was that, yeah. That was that the thinking of that
3: or
0: no, no, no? It, it just, it's just, um, it sounds the same, but there was never any contention about that. There was never any, let's not, let's not make, um, how are you as lightweight as you made, I want you to want me. So we, you know, it, it, it just happened, and, and I think everything was um, everything was okay with that. The band signed off on all the records.
1: Right, right,
0: right. In other words, before they came out, they said okay.
2: Yeah, there's there have been over the years there the band has have made a lot of um, comments about that they were unhappy, especially with the production of In Color. But then all yeah. one has to do is go back and look, and so if they were unhappy with In Color why did they have you produce Heaven Tonight and why did they do How Are You and then why did they have you do Dream Police? <laughs> so exactly. it doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems like it's in retrospect. Yeah, they, could have, they
0: could have fired me. I'm, you know, I work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly that. I mean, the label doesn't pay me. They take it out of the band's royalties mm-hmm. and, the, and the band the band pays me and they hire me. So I yes I would ask that question too. That's a logical question.
2: And you know I would I am really confused by a lot of the negativity uh, that some like I've seen some really negative stuff Tom Peterson said about In Color and I, it's it's confusing to me because I think the record is amazing, sounds great, songs are great, everything about it is great.
0: Listen, this this is not unusual for bands to twenty years later say. And this is not specifically about Cheap Trick. Other bands have said, we don't like that. He didn't get our sound. It's too lightweight. Twisted Sister specifically re-recorded Stay Hungry. Right. And it sold about 25,000 records. In, in contrast to our album, the one I produced, which which has sold, I guess, about 6 million at this point. It's an interesting thing that, that bands can can say things that are illog- illogical and and just don't make sense like d snyder said in his book that i ruined stay hungry which an album which that,
1: was, sells yeah. that sells six I'm million their career it their them and yeah yeah an album that sells six million copies is not a mistake
0: no so i i don't i don't get that Anyway, that, you know, Cheap Trick never said anything like that. Right. But there were, you know, there 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 were definite dissatisfaction uh, elements
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, that 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 uh, they they vocalized, and, and that's what led to, to our to you know, our disagreements, our arguments. Well, and, there's, and I, there's... I really regret that. I really regret it because personally, I loved it. I love the band. I, you know, I, I, I had a great relationship with with everybody. Tom Peterson used to used to crack me up in in the studio, I mean, in stitches. I mean, they were all great. They were all. Mm-hmm. It was great to hang out with them. We, you know, I spent some time on the road with them. Some nights, uh, Rick used to come. You know, I, I went to his house. I met his family. He went to my house our kids at one point point, on one halloween our kids went trick or treating together in, in LA i miss them it's just that simple i uh it, it's too bad that um it's just too bad i'd love to see them i'd love you know but but uh, it it would need to be comfortable right i mean, I, I i you know uh, i'd need to call um their management and ask for uh, a backstage pass, and uh, I think that would be awkward, (laughs) you know, at this
1: point. You know, as someone who's who's written a couple songs, I know that there's been times that I've been frustrated that what I heard in my head I couldn't quite get out, you know, and the more you add people into the mix... The more it may stray from your original thought, so I can understand how a band can look back and say, "That's not the sound we exactly wanted for that track, or for this album, right. or whatever." Right. That just makes sense. That's that's just human nature. But it's they almost didn't say like, it at the time.
0: But I, they should be willing to take some of the responsibility for that, because well, basically, you know, there was no objection then.
1: Right.
2: Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, there's. I don't know what there's there is to take responsibility for you. I mean, there's obviously a stark contrast between the first album and the second album, but that's cheap trick. And that's what we love about them
3: Mm -hmm. is that
2: they could make those two very different records, but they're both, in my opinion, almost equally as good, but they're very different. So, but Mm -hmm. that's, what's so great about them. That's why all the people listening to this show love them so much is because they're capable of making those two records that are so different, but still so great.
1: I can tell you as a fan, I don't hear anything wrong with any of it. And I'm speaking, I'm seriously speaking from my heart. I agree. I've Uh,
0: heard that. Yeah, I I, I have heard that a lot. I don't think that if, I think that if um, the, you know, the dissatisfaction hadn't been articulated by the band, then there would be very few people who would say, I don't like the job you did.
1: Yeah, but isn't that the press as well? I mean, think about it. The press, and I'm not talking about this show because we're not press. We're a fan publication. That's all this is. Uh, We make no money off of this. This is just all done for love. But the press really wants a headline. The press wants you to click. You know, It's all clickbait. So in a sense, I feel that uh, you and Cheap Trick have both been kind of victims of this because what one guy might have just left you know not or uh, not as yeah. focused on with modern press over the last you know twenty years or whatever that's what happens is they want to take that one scandalous little thing and blow it up into this great big thing.
0: Well, remember the media is the enemy of the American people, right That's true. <laughs> So so there you go. There you well, go. It, you know, fake news.
2: <laughs> well, I think a lot of it stems from the 90s when everything had to be alternative and grunge and so that's when, you know, Steve Albini was the epitome of that. And so that's, right. that's when that's that's when Motley Crue and uh Cheap Trick and Twisted Sister decided they weren't punk enough. They weren't heavy that's, enough in the past. They had to be cool in the '90s, and yeah, so well, that's, that's when all that happened. I think.
0: Sure, a- absolutely, and I felt it very strongly um, because Motley Crue. Uh, you know, when 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 Nirvana came, came out, when when after 1990, I guess. You know, any uh, my association with Motley Crue. Which got me, um, you know, a, a lot of acclaim um, and, and a lot of referrals and a lot of choices was uh, poison.
3: Uh-huh. So,
0: no pun intended, because um, you know any band that, that used me would have to deal with that association and uh, and it would damage their street credibility.
3: Uh-huh. Oh, You know, I, it was, so,
0: you know yeah. here's that guy who did all those corporate rock albums.
2: <laughs> yeah, because you did the second Poison album, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did glam. I, Motley Crue was glam. Motley Crue, you know, first they were they were fantastic and the the biggest deal in town, and uh-huh. and then in the '90s, you know, they were considered by some embarrassing. Yeah, you know, right. you, you know, next to Seattle, and and then and now, thank goodness, they're. Considered
2: classic. Motley Motley crew are another band that were so unhappy with what you did that they made three records with you.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. I mean, really? What 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 is up with that? I don't know.
2: I think it's But you know, I I really like you made Blow My Fuse with Kicks and you made Cocked and Loaded with LA Guns and I love those records, but then in the nineties those were like you're not even supposed to they're the worst thing ever in the history of the world, so
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. well, you know. At least we had our we had our our moment, uh-huh. and I, you know, I'll admit I, I just don't. I haven't found too much that's great in the last twenty five years. Um, I know there's good good stuff out there, and people will say, "Wait a minute, you know, Radio and this and that." Uh, the only thing I've list, I've heard that's that's come to me and and and. Made a big impression is is the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, but I know I'm clo- I'm I'm closeted in here. Uh, you know I'm I'm really. I don't open up to, to any new music. I wouldn't know where to find it. And my son, right. who is, you know, heavily into the music business, he's he's an A and R at at, uh, at Interscope at, at Universal. Uh, he specializes in urban music. Mm-hmm. So I can't really look to him because our tastes are completely different, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. almost completely different.
1: Well, the, the, so that's
0: it. I listen. You know, I'm I'm sitting there. My 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 workout. Uh, 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 what's on my phone that I take to the gym is seventies and eighties.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. That's why you you're saying you know this was forty years ago. I can't believe people still want to talk to me, but that's because we haven't found any music in the last couple of decades that we like as much as we like all of this stuff so
0: right right and when we were young or er, younger music made a very big impression on us And you know uh it was pa- we were passionate about it we're not so passionate about it after we're 40 um it's just that's just the way it is it's kind of like making friends you you never have have uh, friends that are uh, that you're s- as connected to later in life as as the friends you made in in grade school or high school, you know, yeah. Fantastic. when you were young. When you were young and so and, uh, true, impressionable.
1: I want to ask you one quick question. On the song <laughs> "How Are You," in the second verse, there's a bit of yeah. the Lord's Prayer sped up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, when you talk so you talk so much and then Yeah. <laughs>
1: um
0: yeah, well I did that just for fun because what was the first one? Oh, oh yeah, right, right. Um I think it was in Motley Crew. one one Motley Crue song I did another thing. Um yeah. I, I, I can't remember. I can't remember which one it was, but I I I, I put, uh, uh, I think it was just say no, just say no, just say no, backwards. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh,
1: so it's your fault it's that we wound off. up with Tipagore.
0: Well, yeah, it, it was, that's exactly it. It was, it was the, uh, what, what, what was the name of that? The PMRC? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, and they, uh, you know, there were people out there who said, it's, um, it's backward masking and it's, and, and it's evil. And, you know, it's meant to, um, uh, you know, to, 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 to affect, uh, uh, kids negatively. It, it's a message. It's an evil message. <laughs> I mean, there were really these, these like born agains and, 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 people like that. Oh yeah. Know, who would have record, record burning uh, mm-hmm. a party. So I did it again <laughs> because I could, it was an opportunity <laughs> right. to, to do that. And, and, uh. I, I can't remember the, the, who said it. It may have... I can't remember who did that. Oh, I remember where I did the Just Say No. That now—that was on Love Hate album.
2: Oh, that's um, another good one.
0: <laughs> on Why Do You Think They Call It Dope? Right.
2: right. In, yeah.
0: in the middle, right. <laughs> just Say No, Just Say No. Backwards sounds really good.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, and it makes sense because it was in a song about drugs, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a trip. So I, I used to enjoy that. I uh as a teenager I, I used to flip the tape over a lot on my webcore mm-hmm. reel to reel. Uh we did a lot of I did I did a lot of backwards stuff. Um you know, like the uh, the symbol on Stranglehold, mm-hmm. That that backwards thing. Anyway, that was fun. What yeah,
1: a what a great track. Uh Stranglehold. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, is there
2: really, is there any song that's been played more on classic rock radio than that song? <laughs> it's going to be one uh, of the David most Cat played Cat ever.
3: Steve.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excellent. Do you, know, you do you remember the the song "Way of the World" on Dream Police? It was originally supposedly it was called "See Me Now" and it had completely different yeah. lyrics. Yeah, you remember that?
0: Yeah, I do remember "See Me Now," um, and I didn't love it, uh, but but "Way of the World" came out really really well. That's Um, one of my
2: favorites. So did, did see me now have a different melody too?
0: No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Not that I remember, but this is, you know, what Rick um, can do is, is, is to, you know, a song morphs Uh from one thing into another. And and he, you know, he can make it, make it better from day to day. I don't know if you've heard any Beatles demos, Mm -hmm. but But they were pretty, you know, compared when you hear the demo and then you hear the finished song, you just have to marvel at how much work went into bringing it that far. Um, Absolutely. Because the the demos were, you know, just not that great. It's not that great. Um, And and, and there's so much uh, creativity that went into bringing it to maturity. Uh, you know, Rick was very uh, flexible that way. He uh-huh. he tried a, a whole bunch of different things, which was good. Excellent. Open to, open to suggestions.
1: And I've got to ask you, voices. What's said at the beginning of voices?
0: Uh, I don't know. what is.
1: Remind me. Because, well, let me, let me find it for you real quick. Hold on. You just give me a second. To a lot of people... They say that it is a bunch of different bands' oh, names. Oh
4: yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay.
1: Hold on a second. I'm going to play it real quick. Okay, let me let me find it. Uh, you'll actually be yeah, able to hear it. Here we it's go.
0: It's just whispers. It's just about ten tracks. Of, you know, we're they're saying things, but they're all whispers.
1: Right. Right. Because it sounds like they're saying KISS, Ted Nugent, and the cars, weird things. Is is that what was going on? (laughs) I don't, I don't, I doubt
0: it. I doubt it.
1: Seriously, you, you you were, I mean, I know that I contacted you, I think, three years ago, and you thought, I, I really don't want to be involved, and and I said, come on, come on, and, and it took a lot of coaxing. You said, come on, come on. Yeah, I said, come on, come on, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know and, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but we finally got you here, and we are so thrilled, and we want to, you know, hopefully you know that we're not doing this to, to cause a ruckus with anybody, it's just because we want to document the right. history, the sound, everybody that's been part of the Cheap Trick story and you are part of that uh, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a thing of love seriously, it is an absolute yeah, labor of love they,
0: you know, I, I just hope that my recollections are accurate enough so that it doesn't uh, y- you know, they don't say wait a minute, that, that's not true at all I really I'm, I'm I'm happy to do this and and uh you know I love the subject uh, but I hope that I can remember accurately enough and I don't cause any uh any trouble by crediting you know me uh as having done something uh rather than the band as right. having done something. So uh it was 40 years ago or or between 35 and 40 years ago for all these the three albums that I did and I'll do my best uh, to, re- to remember, but I hope everybody will forgive me if I, you know, if some things are fuzzy or I uh, misrepresent.
1: Well, like you said, there was something in the air,
0: right? There <laughs> Definitely was. And there was also something on the console.
1: Oh, <laughs>
0: oh, <no. laughs> <Yes>.
3: oh boy. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, enough enough of this the scurrilous scurrilous references.
1: Tom Warman, we just want to thank you for being on this episode of Cheap Talk. It it means so much to us. You were somebody that was on the short list, like I said. We we definitely wanted you on this show, and we are so glad that you're gracing us with your presence and your knowledge. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to day to to come on Cheap Talk, and, and B.J. This is just amazing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, these three albums are just such absolute classics. You know, everybody listening to the show probably adores all three of these records. So. Absolutely, great. So this well, is it's a
0: pleasure. A real pleasure to to be able to talk about a, a time uh, that I enjoyed so much and a, and a band that I enjoyed so much. And frankly, these are the, my favorite albums that I produced in about sixty records. So there you go
1: fantastic. There you go. <laughs> there you go, indeed.
4: Oh, of future sale. The blue we sing is ours. The blue that the our show trick chat is an online non-profit audio fanzine made by fans for fans any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners we are not related to cheap trick or any of their members past or present if you hear anything you like from the band go on amazon or itunes to buy it if you enjoyed this show like us on facebook and rate us on itunes thank you for listening until next time i'm your announcer chelsea epstein saying keep cheap tricking
1: well Tom Worman, I just cannot thank you enough. I, I I speak on behalf of every Cheap Trick fan out there that is listening to this today as the damn phone rings. Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs>